Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Uh, We are actually taking a break from our regularly scheduled programming to focus an entire episode on the scandal that's rocking the admissions world right now. If you are listening to the podcast, my guess is that you have been pretty dialed into what's happening, but just in case. uh, Basically, the short version is some very wealthy parents decided to break the law to make their already privileged offspring a bit more privileged by arranging for them, in some cases unknowingly, to cheat on standardized tests and or to be recruited by coaches as top-flight athletes in sports most of them didn't even play. I may have taken a while, but a tip from a gentleman under investigation in unrelated matters, so a generally good guy, right, decided to let the FBI in on the scheme to try and reduce the pressure that was on him, identifying the Yale women's soccer coach who was taking bribes for acceptances to Yale, who in turn then pointed the finger at Rick Singer and his, and I'm putting this in air quotes, counseling firm. Uh, and then he, great guy that he is, wore a wire and implicated a bunch more people. The whole thing was just a circle of terrible people doing terrible things. And the losers here are Legion, the other applicants in these pools, the children who have these people as parents, <laughs> the admissions offices trying to do their work as ethically as possible, and of course, to us, uh, it really is never great to see someone doing the work that we do or purporting to do the work that we do uh, so unethically and causing people to wonder about what, we, what it is that we're in the business of doing for families. Um, and that's where we're at. We wanted to talk through more about that scandal today. Uh, talk a lot more about what it is that we do, why we do it, and most importantly, help everyone who's listening understand how do we all move forward and what does this mean uh, and how will this impact my own chances, my own applications. I am incredibly excited today. I'm always excited to welcome our guests, but today I'm particularly excited because I'm welcoming my co-hosts, who I never get to speak with because they're hosting the show when I'm off and I'm, they're off when I'm hosting the show. So Ian Fisher and Sally Ganga, they are here today. Welcome to both of you. Yeah, thanks Hello. For having yeah, absolutely. And uh, just as a, as a quick aside, um, because I'm sure they don't introduce their credentials at the beginning of every show, Ian is a former admissions officer for Reed. Uh, Sally is also a former admissions officer at Reed. She also worked at the University of Chicago and Whittier College and was a college counselor uh, in California, interestingly enough, at both the Archer School for Girls and Chadwick. Uh, all right, guys, I don't know who wants to go first, but, um, you know, what, 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 I don't even know. I'm speechless. This whole thing has left me somewhat speechless, so... Um, maybe Sally, what, what, what do you, what are your thoughts, initial thoughts here? I mean, what's really struck me overall, I mean, other than how really disgusting the whole thing is, is just how damaging this is for the kids who are involved. 
Um, I mean, I know that the mm-hmm. parents feel like they're doing them favors, but what they're really doing is telling them that they're not capable. They can't do anything. Um, they can't do anything themselves, um, you know, and uh, that there's only certain kinds of successes in the world and getting into a college that they can actually get into would somehow not be a success. So anything that they can do themselves doesn't seem to count for these parents. I, I know that for the right. people who are hearing, I would love these advantages for myself. I think I'm hoping that what people will sort of keep in mind is that you're really empowering your students more by letting them, you know, earn their place. Yeah, yeah I think agreed. that's right, Sally. It's, um, it's, it's something that I, there's so many things to think about here, but it, one of the things that really came out as the story was developing was this concept of the sort of the bumper sticker culture of, you know, it doesn't really matter where my kid goes to school for the sake of their academic experience, it matters where they go to school for the sake of my reputation within my parent group or the bumper sticker that I put on my car. And that's basically what you're dealing with with, with these parents who's, you know, they're just saying, I, I care that you go to this school with this particular name. Um, and it's, it's so damaging for the kids. I think it's a damaging approach to have um, with respect to the college application process. It really doesn't fit at all with what we talk about on this show all the time and what we share with our students all the time. Uh, so, yeah, it's it just counter to everything that, uh, that I think we look for when we talk about the right kind of fit and, and really cultivating that authentic aspect of who you are in your process. So, yeah, that part, that part is definitely maddening, I think, as, as far as the story is concerned. Yeah, I think the, other, the, the big question I've been getting asked a lot this week is, how could this happen? And I have to imagine that our listeners are wondering that exactly. Um, how does this happen? And, you know, from my, what I would say, one of the ways in which this happens is it, it, it doesn't just happen. We're talking, that guy, Rick Singer, had $25 million in his bank account. That, um, and I think anyone out there could ask either of us. We, I would happily show you my bank account. There is not $25 million in there. It's not even, like... <laughs> I'm not even at one twenty-fifth of that in my bank account. It's not even close. Um, so I, the way that this happened is they broke the law. It, it is so egregious what they did, and every in every stretch of the word, there wasn't a moment where what they did was ever anything other than totally wrong, and um, it, as we now know, in in many cases, illegal. So it isn't like they just bent the rules. I think that's something no. for people to keep top of mind, right? This isn't a, well, we exercised this tiny little loophole. No, they didn't. They went out, they, they paid people off and to, in order to achieve the outcomes that they wanted. They lied, they bribed, and, um, it, and so that's how this happened. They broke the law, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it is. They they falsified records, effectively. They pretended, they created, um, you know, people on the applications who effectively didn't exist. I mean, at the bottom of, at the end of every common application, there's a place where you sign your name saying that you've been truthful, right? And uh, there was no truth in those applications. It's hard for me to even imagine how this first got started. Like, how many coaches did he have to go to that were like, you know, I'm not really interested in taking a bribe to 
falsify my recruitment list before he got some that it, it just sort of where where the initial conversation around this happened is very hard for me to wrap my head around. Um, and I actually think it's quite remarkable that given the number of admissions officers across the country at, at these highly selected institutions, the fact that none of them were involved in or implicated in this scandal um, is pretty remarkable. Um, it sort of shows you mm-hmm. that even if you're going to try and cheat, you can't you can't go to the admission office because they're going to say, what are you talking about? I take this part of my job very seriously. They had to find a back door through the back door, um, you know, with respect to going to those court coaches. And I, I think that that in itself is sort of remarkable that there are no admission officers in this in this process. Well, I think it points up what we have always said, or certainly what I talk to people about a lot, which is that I know people fear, in many cases, the admissions office because they do hold, it feels like they hold all the power. We talk a lot about how um, you you also hold a lot of power, right? You start starting with where you decide to apply, but the they... They are, they take their job so seriously. You don't do this work so that you can walk around and tell people, well, I'm a, I'm a big deal. I do admissions for Harvard or I do admissions for Penn. You do this work no. because you feel really strongly about the mission of your institution and you are excited to welcome a new group of students to campus every year and you want that group to be as interesting and um, altogether well-rounded and engaged and engaging as it possibly can be. And I've never, ever met anyone in admissions who wasn't as passionate about that. You know, it's, a, it's a high burnout job, and there's a reason that people often don't stay in it longer than three years, but it's not... Uh, it, it, is, it is almost a passion project when you do this work, and... Uh, you know, I do agree that it is almost surprising, and yet when you think about all the people we know who have done this work, which is, by the way, all of us, I guess it shouldn't surprise us too much because, you know, I don't know anyone who did this while I was in admissions, and I'm guessing that neither of you do either. Oh, definitely not. No. And I uh, I think it's notable, too. I don't think Rick Singer... You know, the guy in the middle of all this, I don't think he even ever worked in admissions, right? So, no, he you know, he, yeah. he just went straight into the consultant part of it. Is that true, Ian? I think that's right. That sounds right to me from, from the stories that I heard. And, and, you know, just sort of, best the way that you described that really sort of uh, resonated with me in, in that belief that admission officers have with their institution. I mean, I, I think that we would all agree that there are parts of this process that aren't quite perfect and that, um, you know, we wish we could change certain aspects of, you know, students who are selected for different kinds of institutions. But I know that, you know, decisions that institutions make are one thing, but you know, the admission officers themselves are so passionate about finding students that are going to really benefit from that educational experience. They really, really care about it. And um, that's that's what's so heartening about our profession and so at odds, I would say, with, with this sort of, um, you know, this scandal. Um, it, it's, it's, it's challenging, right, Sally, to, to sort of feel like this, this is not... It's, it's something that to me, I describe it as sort of shocking, but not surprising um, that, that there are parents out there that would do something like this, but still it, it sort of hits really hard. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and I just, I want to kind of 
you know, really emphasize the point that you make about how much we do care about this. I mean, I, I went to Reed, so obviously I cared about Reed, but I also yes. worked at Whittier. Um, you know, I hadn't attended Whittier. I worked at University of Chicago, hadn't attended it. These are three very different institutions in many ways. Um, you know, just to start with in terms of selectivity, although I was very proud of all of them, especially for, you know, for a whole bunch of reasons, or as you said, I wouldn't have worked for them. And just to give people a taste yeah. of how personally we can take all this. I remember one time when a student had applied and she'd written, I'd actually met this student and she'd written um, really one of the best essays. I still remember her essay now. And just so you know, I started working at Reed in 1992 so <laughs> it was a while ago, um, you know, because I, I stayed at Reed for five years, but I still remember her essay. And she was a great kid, but she was kind of right on the cusp in terms of admissions. And when it turned out that we might not be able to take her, I actually, and keep in mind, this was committee day. So we'd been there for like 12 hours. I actually started tearing up because I wanted this student so badly. <laughs> so, um, so just to let you know, like how much we, you know, admission officers I think really do care about these things they do they do yeah it's definitely really it's you feel like you're doing important work in fact I my background is that I worked in marketing and PR for 10 years and was feeling like I was doing you know I don't want to say empty and soulless work but a little bit of empty and soulless work <laughs> it didn't seem it was important but it didn't seem to matter enough and um, education was really important to me. I grew up, my father and my mother are both teachers, and I enjoyed school. I was a good student. I, I looked at college and, and high school, quite honestly. I was a scholarship student at both places um, as just incredible opportunities for me to, um, to open up it opened up a whole new world of opportunities, and when I realized that maybe I could combine this skill set that I developed in the marketing world with um, impacting people's futures by being able to help them get into or get admitted to um, the institution I was representing at the time, University of Pennsylvania, it was just, it was like everything clicked, and it felt like, yes, this is what I've been meant to do. And, and there's a reason that I've spent the last 17 years doing that. And, um, yeah, I, I, don't, I just don't know that we can underscore that enough, um, just how, how, that, you know, how seriously we all take these things and how I'm sure that it's feeling like a little bit of dark days at some of these admissions offices whose schools were implicated yeah. in this right now. And, and, you know, like Sally, I, I remember a kid that I really wanted to get in that were on the cusp. Some who made it, some didn't. And, and it's not even close to the level of selectivity that you see at Penn or other Ivies or, or USC, you know, some of the other schools that are in this conversation that are part of this scandal. And I think that's the part that's so challenging is there are so many kids at a place like Yale that could have been great there who just can't come because of the space. And when you see a student who finds their way into that class for this specific reason, that's what's especially upsetting because there are so many kids who have missed that opportunity. Um, so, you know, that's, that's the one that I think upsets us in, in the field. I think really upsets 
parents and students who were trying to get into those schools and, and didn't get a chance to be a part of that class. That's where the fraud, I think, really uh, sort of hurts the most is, is the students who've missed those opportunities. I would agree with Ian that that's what hurts the most. Um, you know, ultimately, you know, you want the students to be there who should be there and who on some level have earned it for themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah I totally agree. Um, okay, well, with that, we're going to take a short break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about um, how this might have impacted students' applications, give you a little bit more insight into how the process works, um, and uh, just, you know, talk a little bit more about the fallout from this and, and how we can all move forward. Uh, so don't go away. We'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Join Chris Epting every week for the moment. Chris talks to some of the most amazing people you'll ever meet, including authors, artists, and athletes. And that's just the A-list. These celebrities and public figures have interesting stories that all showcase the moments that their lives took a certain dramatic turn, changing them forever and shaping them to be the person that they were meant to be. Listen for The Moment with Chris Epting, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. We are talking about the fallout from the big college admissions scandal that's going on. And Sally and Ian, my co-hosts, who never joined me on the same uh, same show are here today, and we are talking through um, through this. And I think we, in the first segment, we were talking a lot about kind of what happened, and um, you know, sort of how we feel about what happened, how it might have happened. Um, but I thought now is probably a good time to talk about the impact 
that this may or may not have on applicants, the impact that it had on applicants previously and what it might have on applicants moving forward. Um, and maybe, Ian, if you have yeah. some initial thoughts to share about that, would be great. Yeah, a chance to speculate a little bit, perhaps. Um, yeah. I think uh, I, I'm very curious what's going to happen in these offices, especially in places that have high-level athletics and very selective schools. Um, uh, not not like a Duke basketball thing. I think that, you know, if you're looking at Duke basketball, there's not going to be any sort of way that somebody's going to pretend to be a basketball player at that level. But if you're looking at sailing or crew or different sort of athletics uh, opportunities, how do those sort of fit into the admission process and what are those going to look like going forward? Um, will these schools take certain steps to certify um, the athletic ability of the recruits uh, what kind of conversations will they have with coaches? Will that be tightened up a little bit? I think you can probably expect that things like that are going to happen at Stanford, for example, which has excellent athletics uh, and is also very, very selective. Um, so, so that's one thing that I would expect to see different. I don't know that it's something that is necessarily going to feel different for the majority of students that are applying, and it might not even feel different for the majority of athletic recruits. Uh, it might just be something that is different in terms of the admission offices and the coaches that are participating in this process. Uh, Sally, I'm wondering if you have any ideas about what you think the impact might be on other students um, who are applying to these schools going forward, uh, whether there's going to be any change in the process if you're not a part of that recruited athlete pool. Mm-hmm. I don't think that ultimately during the scandal or even now, if you weren't an athlete, that this would impact you. And then, and I don't want to, I don't want to minimize what happened. I mean, I think in the first segment we were really clear about how, yeah, how horrible this was. And I think that um, that it did, you know, these students did take the places of other recruited athletes because I know that at University of Chicago, um, you know, we're. U Chicago is D3, so that's a not anywhere close to USC or Stanford's level. But, you know, there were very limited number of athletic spots, right? And sort of the weaker the student, mind you, Chicago had pretty high minimums, but the weaker the student, the more the coach had to really want them. And so it strikes me that these these students did bump another student who was a genuine athlete and probably had done their homework in school and, you know, had yeah. actually like worked mm-hmm. hard at all this. Um, but I think I, I do want to reassure kind of any of the students who I work with that for a typical student, this is actually not going to be the thing that impacts you. As much as this scandal was pretty wide ranging, if you think about the fact that there's over 3,000 four-year colleges and universities, there's actually multiple highly selective schools, you know, it's it's not going to be the thing. It's not a one-to-one thing where because this one kid got in, you didn't. That's not how it works in the process. Yeah, I would yeah, actually I I want to follow that is, up on just, um, <laughs> sorry, Ben, we're talking over each other, but I wanted to, okay, go I for it. to mention in, uh, institutional priorities are a really important concept, I think, just for listeners to understand. And I think we've mentioned on the show before, but basically every college has its set of priorities. There are things that a college is looking for. At Reed, where I worked, the institutional priorities were pretty few because we have a small college. We don't have varsity athletics. We don't prioritize students who are legacy. Um, there are some priorities for things like 
diversity, for example, for bringing in students who are lower on the socioeconomic scale. Um, but for the most part, the admission process is pretty steady across all students. That's different at a place like Penn that has athletics, that has a business school, that has legacy. How did institutional priorities play a role in the admission process at Penn, and in what way were students sort of in different buckets as they were being considered, depending on the priorities that they satisfied? And I wouldn't even necessarily say different buckets. I would even tell you that, yeah, mm-hmm. legacy definitely plays a role at Penn, but, um, you know, even when I was there, I saw in the, in, over the course of my time that legacy played a bigger role early on than it did even after four years where um, the legacy applicants still had to be just as good as everybody else. I, I do think there's a vision mm-hmm. that, having the legacy tag means suddenly that a kid who would otherwise be just kind of eh is suddenly getting in. And I, I can't speak to all institutions, but I can tell you that at Penn, all it really meant was that was just, if you had to be as good as everyone else, and then if you did have that piece, that was something in your favor. But it wasn't, um, gotcha. it was never going to make you, you know, super admissible. But it, but it is true that there are institutional priorities, and, and I... Um, I have a colleague who I worked with who had this great, she did this amazing Penn presentation um, when she was the, um, the admissions officer on, uh, for that day, and I stole a bunch of stuff from her, but one of the things I remember her saying was, you know, that there might be a year where the band needs a tuba player, and so the band director would say, hey, if you have any super competitive applicants and you're trying, you know, you're looking for some specific things, we really need a tuba player. So if you see anyone good who also plays the tuba, please think of us, right? And then so you might find a tuba player. Awesome. There you go. Here you go, band director. You got your tuba player. Awesome. Guess what? We don't need those anymore. Now we need piccolo players. And so in the next year, you could have a hundred great tuba players, but the, the band director said, I need a piccolo player. And so they, that's going to be less compelling than the kid who is equally as strong as all the tuba players, but plays the piccolo. So she would always say, sometimes you're a piccolo, or sometimes you're a tuba player in a piccolo year. And um, I think that rings true for every school, right? The institutional priorities shift from year to year, and what is important and valuable in one year might be less so in another, or what is important and valuable, you may have hundreds of students who fit that bill in one year and only two or three in another year, and and there's so many different priorities that you're trying to satisfy, um, and, and that's yeah. what I always bring up when we think about the concept of it's not fair, right? That's a big thing, phrase that I've heard bandied about a lot since this scandal happened, this whole concept of it's not fair. Part of me says, well, of course, because, you know, life isn't fair, but that's a little, that's a little, um, you know, facile, and, and that's not really where I want to go. What I want to think about, though, is you have thirty to 40,000 applicants. Each individual applicant has their own institutional priority or priority of getting in, right? That, that's thirty to 40,000 different priorities. And then you have an institution mm-hmm. that has its own different set of priorities. How are those ever going to link up? They're rarely going to. They're, you know, it's going to be so... So it's not going to seem fair to most people, whether you have something like this or you don't. But 
I don't know, Sally, what are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you worked at three different institutions with different priorities, so I'm, I'm curious about your take. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. think it's absolutely true. And it's kind of interesting what the priorities are sometimes. I mean, I, I think everybody has always talked about diversity, like ethnic diversity. And I'm, uh, you know, at University of Chicago, we even had, and I want to be clear that this was under a previous dean. I don't know what the priorities are now under this current dean. Um, but, you know, under our previous dean, we actually even like kept an eye out for rural applicants. We felt like we can't just take people from Chicago, like r- rural Illinois, um, you know, we would like we had an mm-hmm. eye out for strong rural applicants, you know, applicants who weren't from cities who, you know, and it was great. I mean, we'd see applications from kids where their summer activities was like husking corn, you know, like detasseling <laughs> corn. That's what they <laughs> called great. it, you know, and we knew that, that yeah. actually for them, that was like that was the job they had accessible to them. So. You know, we we were very sort of careful to kind of, yeah, A, we had a little bit of a bucket for them, and B, we were careful to evaluate them within that bucket. A kid where the detasseling corn is the main thing to do is probably not going to have access to the research internships that kids in Chicago might have access to, that kind of thing. But yeah, every institution had buckets, although I will say that Whittier, which I want to like absolutely say is an institution that I love, you know, they admitted such a majority of students that honestly, fundamentally, if you were academically qualified, you were probably just going to get in. So we didn't really worry about buckets. We just worried about get the applications in. So it's a different process at that level. Yeah, and actually, that, that brings up a really, really great point, um, just really yeah. quickly that I want to make, which is one of the things that I find incredibly frustrating about this entire sort of scandal is just the idea that all anyone's talking about is acceptance to this small, tiny little group of schools and the fact that 80% of the colleges in this country admit more than half of their applicant pools. And, you know, it, yeah. this stuff like this causes so much additional stress. And people who listen to this podcast know that most of the time we're, we're trying to provide as much information as we can to help everybody. We do not have an emphasis on getting into highly selectives because that's not what this is about, right? And I just think that's an important point to, something to point out that, that there are so many other options out there and, and, and this just throws more undue focus on a very tiny number of schools. No, that's a, basically, a, I had the same kind of idea, uh, Beth. You know, you've got Sally here who has worked at some wonderful institutions who loves a place that admits students who are academically qualified. There's nothing wrong with that. She has a deep belief and passion for the, the mission of that school. And, you know, that's fantastic. That's something that we always encourage students to look for, uh, to get rid of this idea of what people think a, quote, good school is. Put that aside and really focus on staying in your lane. I had a conversation on Friday um, just last week with a student, and she's talking about she's at a very high-powered high school in Southern California, the Simi Valley area, and she's talking about how stressful it is that students are competitive, and they're talking about how many APs they're taking and where they're going to apply to school and what their scores are. One of the things that I wanted to just reiterate to her and, and to her mother was, Stay in your lane. Keep focused on what you're doing, what you care about, what your priorities are, and let that conversation be something that other people engage in. It's not something you have to talk about. It doesn't make your high school experience any richer. It doesn't prepare you any better for your college experience. It doesn't make you more competitive 
for the schools where you're ultimately going to apply, you want to treat your high school experience as an opportunity to learn, to grow, to connect with other people, to develop into the kind of person that you're going to be as a springboard for your college experience, wherever that may be. And so one of the, I think, the dangers of this, and, and I think that this particular scandal is a symptom of this larger problem that we see, not with everybody, but with you know, certain communities of, of students and parents that are really pushing for a certain subset of schools as though they're the only good ones. And there are so many great educational opportunities out there. We, we really want people to understand the vast opportunity that is available for, for students and, and give them an opportunity to, to seek that out. Absolutely. And I, I actually, I'll just tell you how one of my students dealt with it. Um, this is when I was at Archer School for Girls, which unfortunately, um, well, which I, I want to say it was a great school and I loved the students and I loved the parents, but there was, it was in sort of wealthy West Los Angeles. And so there was a lot of this focus on prestige. And, um, you know, I was trying to tell students, look, you don't have to tell anybody what your GPA is. You don't have to tell anybody what your test scores are or where you're applying to college. You don't have to tell anyone, like tell them when you find out where you're going. This was hard for students to resist, and um, they found that people were really picky. So a student of mine um, started telling people she was going to DeVry, which is a for-profit school that essentially (laughs) takes everyone. And I I thought it was the... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. I thought it was the best answer. She said it shut people right up and they and they would just leave her alone. Mind you, this young woman went off to Boston University, was very, very happy. It was a great choice for her. Um, so she had lots of choices, but she just got so tired of it that she's like, yeah, I'm going to DeVry. And she said, that took care of it. <laughs> Well, because Fantastic. just what is that reaction, right, when you tell people where you're going to apply and you can see it in their faces that they either they think they're really impressed or they're, oh, yeah, I guess that's a good, like, what, first of all, why would you, why ask? And second of all, it's, you know, it's none of your business. And third of all, why do you have an opinion on the school at all? I mean, I, I it is... One of the pieces of advice that I have given over the years is avoid these conversations as much as possible. You know, parents don't have them with other parents and students don't have them with your fellow students. Because, you know, I get people, well, I just talked to so-and-so and she's applying to Princeton. I'm like, well, anybody can apply, you know? Right. She didn't say, I'm applying to Princeton, I'm getting in. Like, anybody in the world can apply to any of these schools if they want to give them they're 75 to $100, they, are, they can do that. But that doesn't mean anything about how admissible they are, um, anything about where they're going to go. And it's sad, but I have even seen it where students lie about where they're going. Just say, hey, oh, yeah, I applied here and I got in. And, and nope, that's actually not true. They either didn't apply and therefore didn't get in, or they did apply, but they didn't get in. So... Yeah, one piece of advice that I would have to families moving forward is just try to try to just keep it to what it is. It's your process. Don't in, open it up to the world yeah. for their opinions. You know, I mean that that's that's not going to help anybody. All right. On that note, we are going to head to break one more time, and then we're going to come back. And this time, when we come back, we're really going to focus on what you can do moving forward. Um, leave this in your rearview mirror and, uh, yeah, and just give you some, some things to think about as you work on your own applications. Uh, so don't go away.
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. We have been talking about the admission scandal that uh, has been all over the news for the past probably week and a half, and uh, likely will continue. We're, I think there's going to be more fallout. But at the end of the day, we are here as a group to help you uh, through this process, and um, we are wanting to focus this final segment today that, I, that Ian and Sally are joining me for on uh, w- what you can do moving forward. And, um, you know, Sally, I don't know if you have some initial thoughts about, about what families should be focusing on uh, as they go through this, but, but why don't you get us started? Sure. So, I mean, I guess the message that I really want students to have, and this is what I do when I'm working one-on-one with students, is try and, I I always spend a lot of time talking to the student about who they are and what matters to them. And I tell them, don't answer these questions with college in mind, just answer them. You know, I always tell them, I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions that might make no sense to you. You might have no idea why I'm asking them because it'll seem completely unrelated to college. But that's 
purposeful. I want to know what you think about and what you care about. Because what I'm trying to do and what parents can help their students do is think about like who the student is and who their authentic self is and help present the best Mm -hmm. part of who they are. Because it really comes down to a student's authentic self always has a lot to offer. And I have to say, one of the biggest joys in my job is when I have those conversations with students and then I reflect back to them this is what you have. This is the thing that you've been telling me that I think colleges are going to love. And so this is what we want to make sure gets talked about in the application. So I'm not creating a picture that isn't there. I'm taking who they are and I'm telling them what you just told me here, this piece of you has real value. And that's what we want to highlight. And I have to say, that's how you make the process a success because the student knows that who they are has value. They, they, I mean, I've I've just seen more students' faces light up and say, I didn't think anybody would care about that. And I'm like, no, actually, they're going to care a lot about that. Yeah, and I think that's true, Sally. I feel like so much of what I do in my work with students one-on-one is giving them permission to do the things that they love to do. Um, You know, we'll work one-on-one with kids that come in and think, okay, well, what do I have to do this summer? And the number of times I've told students, you should choose the activity that you would choose even if you could never tell anybody about it, what would you do if, if you weren't allowed to share with colleges what your summer activities were? You know, that's the thing you're going to most enjoy, and it also happens to be the thing that colleges are going to be most excited to read about because it's going to be authentic. It's going to be filled with passion. You're going to have energy as a result of this thing that you've chosen to do. And students get excited when they hear that because they don't have to just sign up for, you know, something that's going to look good on their resume but can instead think about, what the resume says about who they are. And that means, you know, assessing that question of, of who they are at the beginning. And, you know, just like with you, Sally, when it comes to that essay writing process, I think I'll get to the end of a brainstorm with a student and I'll say, well, this is your topic. You're going to write about calligraphy or you're going to write about skiing and how you feel when you're going down the mountain in competition. And they're just like, I can write about that. That's okay. (laughs) Yes. This is great. This is a fantastic topic. You're going to write a great essay here. And, And so, you know, it's, uh, I think students have, because of the, so much of the mania that surrounds this, there's this ongoing belief that students can't be themselves. They have to build something, build a brand that isn't who they are. It's just not the way that it works, and, and certainly something that's counter to how we want to spend our time working with students. Yeah, and I think that makes a really good point about, you know, what we're doing and what other people who are in this space are doing. Um, that is helping kids find their authentic voice, helping them to focus on the, the things that they truly do care about, that, that are truly important to them, rather than trying to spin themselves up and around and try to imagine what the colleges are looking for. I would, I would liken it to, you know, well, I wouldn't like it. I was going to make an analogy. I'm not going to go there. What, what I will say instead is I would encourage everyone who's listening to flip the script a little bit. Instead of going to look at colleges and saying to yourself, oh, this place is so great. I hope they want me. You really want to go in with the thought that I want to see if I like this college. Do they have what I want? What is it that I want? You have to do some thinking about that. It's very easy to go into this process more focused on the name brand of a college or a friend that you know who goes to a specific school and you really like that person or there's a lot of, a lot of ways in which other people try to co-opt your process, right? Because 
they have an opinion. It's the same thing we were saying earlier. Why, why do people ask you where you're applying and why do they then have an opinion about it? You're the person who's going to spend the next four years at this school. And if you in your mind even can start saying to yourself, wait, why do I like this school? You might wind up with the same list of schools, but it's going to change your entire attitude about how you approach the process. And, you know, who do you want to be friends with? Do you want to be friends with the person who's saying, oh, my God, you're so cool, you're so awesome, I just want to spend time with you, and you're just the best. After a while, you're sort of like, oh, my God, okay, whatever. Or do you want to be friends with the person who's, who connects with you because you both have something similar that you like, and you're talking about that instead of how awesome you think that other person is? You, you know, you want the real connections in life are made over those things, not over hero worship. And so the more you can get away from this idea that the colleges hold all the power and your role is to tell them how amazing they are and hope that they see something in you and instead say, you know, I have a lot to offer and I need to look for schools that are going to help me further develop what I have to offer and also appreciate what I have to offer. And I really think that thinking differently, thinking in that way is the way through a, a more successful process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and actually, I know that there's some people right now who are like, yeah, but if you go to a less selective school that people haven't heard of, then nobody's going to want to hire you or you're not going to get into the best graduate schools. And I can tell you from my experience at Whittier that that is not true, that the very... You know, we had a whole group of interns in our office, and I can tell you that the really talented um, interns did things that were as impressive as the really talented Reed College or University of Chicago students. So, um, you know, and in fact, I think they got a lot of, you know, sort of mentoring from the faculty at places like Whittier. So we had students going to places like grad school at Georgetown. Uh, one of my students is, you know, is a screenwriter in Hollywood now doing extremely well working on movies that we have all heard of, you know. So mm-hmm. um, so I like I just want to like I know that's not what the focus of this is, but I just want to put that out there, too, because I know that people have that in the background, you know, of their head. They're like, yeah, but my kid's not going to be able to go anywhere if they don't go to a school that admits fewer than 50 percent of their mm-hmm. applicants. And I'm here to tell you it's not true. That's right. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I got, absolutely. I, I waited a second. Beth, I think we both waited to <laughs> Go not for it. cut each other off, as a good host does, and then we both, we timed it exactly perfectly. <laughs> but one of the things that I've been sharing with families that I think I've learned, uh, especially recently, because I've been with college folks for almost uh, six years now, uh, is how important the student is. Um, the, the student is really the, the key variable when we talk about anything in this process. And it's actually some of the articles that came out after the scandal that were pointing out, you know, these aren't the kids that need to go to these schools. They're going to have about the same amount of success that they would have had had they gone to any school. And, you know, I think that that's actually true for a lot of students, is that if you start to believe in yourself as the key variable, you start to see yourself as the person that's going to show up and do the work and make the connections with faculty and have the experience then you're going to put yourself in a position to be really successful later on down the road, no matter where it is that you choose to go to college. Um, so, so I think that there, there's almost this sort of implicit sense that I have to get into a good school or else I won't be successful when really you're the person that's responsible for that success. And when we talk about success, we're not talking about just getting that acceptance letter. We're talking about 
what you do with the time that you're given as an opportunity to get an education. Um, and, and so you know, I think it's a great message for students to really start to understand and hopefully to feel confident in that they're the ones that are responsible for their success beyond the application process, but you know, through that college experience. Right, and the idea that where you go, ultimately, it's much more about what you do when you get there than where you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I do believe that. I do. I do believe that very strongly. And I know. Um, I know that we that we all do. Um, I'm curious if either of you have other thoughts about uh, other things that you'd love to see families focusing on as we move forward from this. Well, I guess I don't know if families should focus on this, I guess I'd kind of like everyone to focus on the fact that the bigger issue is the lack of college counseling. (laughs) Like, I mean, if I'm concerned about (laughs) inequity in the system, it's that, you know, uh, I mean, when I was at Archer and Chadwick, you know, I would have, I would have loads of like 30 to 40 students. I mean, it was great. Like I had time, I could spend individual time with all of them. I could, um, help them pick out the right colleges for them where they were going to be able to thrive and take advantage of everything. And in a lot of high schools, the counselor might have, excuse me, 500 students in their load. There just can't be that kind of mentoring to allow them to find that school that's going to be a good match for them. Prestige completely set aside. Just, we're just talking about the right match. Right. That's right. And I grew up, I grew up in Arizona where the, this, counselor to student ratio is something like 832 to one, you know, something like that among public schools, which is just, you're lucky if you can even get a sentence for a letter of recommendation in that context. And that's not the student's fault, uh, but it's an absence of information, I think, to help guide them through that, that process. Um, one of the things that I feel like I have really noticed is a, a correlation between um, a parent's willingness to sort of take a back seat and let the students drive the process um, and success in the process um, being defined in a variety of different ways, whether it's, um, you know, students that are getting into highly selective schools or students that are getting into schools where they're really happy, whatever it may be, what you find in those situations are parents who are helping their students to stay informed, who are giving them opportunities to be successful, but are letting them really, really drive the process. And I know that's something that is really true of probably most of our listeners out there, that you're here listening in to get some information so that you can give it to your student or maybe have them listen to an episode so that they know that stuff for themselves, but that when it comes time for them to actually put that application together, they're the ones that are responsible for doing it. That's one of the sort of heartbreaking pieces of this scandal is that these are parents that didn't trust their kids, right? I think you said that at the top, Beth. They didn't trust their kids to just do this thing for themselves. And I think you win big as a parent by helping your student to ultimately find their own success. That's something that I would want to underscore. But I think, key, right, they didn't trust them, but then they also said, basically, you're not good enough. So mm-hmm. they didn't trust them to do their best work on, on, I can't imagine these kids wrote their own essays either. I have to imagine that everything about their application process was more or less managed. Um, whether or not they wrote an essay that then the parent replaced with an essay somebody else wrote, I don't know. But the message here was, A, I don't trust you, but B, also, I don't, you're not good enough because 
you know, there's a, there was a big, a funny thing going around Facebook with people applauding Arizona State because Arizona State was one of the schools that was apparently not acceptable to Lori Lachlan and her husband for her daughters. Um, and, um, but that was clearly a school that m- they might have been able to get into. And so there's the message. Well, whatever you accomplished, it's not good enough. So we don't like that school, and it's the only one or one of the ones that you can get into, and therefore, you know, wow, you're terrible. We have to break the law in order for you to go to a school that we feel is more um, Im- impressive to us. And mm-hmm. I, I just, yeah. as the parent of a high school freshman, I cannot think of, I literally can't think of a worse message that I could send to my kids. Now, I want to jump in really quick on Arizona State. We're very big friends of Arizona State here on this podcast. Uh, both my parents oh, yeah? are professors at Arizona State. Uh, we've had one of the faculty members from the Barrett Honors College at Arizona State. It's an excellent university with a great mission. And I, I feel like ASU got, got slammed a little bit in the press, and that wasn't fair. Uh, so, ASU, you're doing great things. i gotta, I got to give a shout-out to the Sun Devils on that. Okay. And, and, actually, and actually, I don't think they did get slammed. I think people were like, woohoo, go ASU. Like, good for you that, you know, I totally agree. I'm a big fan of, of ASU. Um, I'm on board. Yes. <laughs> I'll just That's give right. my own plug. I have a student who went to Stanford Medical School. Um, she went undergrad at Yale, but when I looked at the list of the other students, more than one had come from Arizona State. So obviously you can do great things there. And then just talking about Lori Laughlin's daughter, I mean, you know, if you read her, um, one of the things that makes this all so disgusting is that she didn't seem that interested in the school part of USC anyway. She wanted the game day ambiance. She wanted mm-hmm. the school spirit. You know, she could have gotten that in any, she she would not have had to cheat her way into that, you know. So it really exactly. was an issue of exactly. her parents. Yeah. Yeah. It's bad stuff. Any final thoughts before we wrap up? Just be authentic. Yeah, like, just, let your authentic yeah. self guide the application process. I think that's perfect. It's a great All right. spot to leave it. All right. I like it. Um, thank you so much, Ian, Sally. It was awesome to have you here. This was fun. We may have to do this again. Um, next week, Sally, yeah. you are back hosting, and you're going to be talking about applying out of state to a public institution college finance for older parents, and how to choose from your available options if you don't get into your dream school. And just remember, if you don't get into your dream school, hey, that's because you put together an application, and it's okay that that school didn't work out. Um, you have other choices, and we're going to help you think through what, um, how to make the best choice amongst the ones that you do have. And at least you don't have parents that broke the law and are going to jail so that you could get into Century School. <laughs> um, if you have That's questions right. for us, send them to us, gettingin.voiceamerica.gmail.com. Again, that's gettingin.voiceamerica.gmail.com. And don't forget, we are here every week, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.